Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast. This is Tom Salemi. I'm here, as always, with Steve Group of the Silas Group. Hey, Steve. Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm doing great. I love this company you talk to today. I know I usually say it's interesting, and they all are interesting, but this one uh, has a great story. AI Cure. You talked to Adam Hanina, the yep. co-founder and CEO. Tell yep. us all about AI Cure. Well, it, it, it seems like an easy uh, thing to think about. It, one of the issues you have when it comes to a co- the concept of uh, drug adherence, and you want drug adherence in a number of different aspects of our business. You want it certainly for clinical trials, and we're talking about its value in terms of you know, treating patients. But the one thing that you don't really know when you go to, drug adher- to study drug adherence is whether the patient actually, in fact, took the drug. And uh, a- AI Cure's idea is to have uh, artificial intelligence analyze a video feed of the patient taking the drug to log the fact that, in fact, it was successfully taken. Now that's the, that's the cool part because I thought initially when I saw the video that there's they're FaceTiming with someone who was like all right you know lift right. your tongue but right. it's not it's all AI it's all AI and it's uh, it's a video feed and they uh, they're able to 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 make it a logical interpretation as to whether or not the drug is has been taken and that that it's the appropriate drug and the, what's cool about that is you listen to the interview um, is they've then done studies correlating the the computer's interpretation that the drug's been taken to drug levels in the blood. And the correlation of that is extremely high. And so now when you are doing a clinical trial, at least, uh, you're, you're able to determine using this technology that the patient, in fact, has taken the drug on regimen. And you're then able to stratify your population in the trial from those that are adherent and those that are not. And of course, uh, the information you're looking for is the effect of the drug for those that are adherent, right? That and so you're able everything. to, it yep. changes everything. Yep. It, it, cha- it absolutely changes everything. Um, and then, <clears throat> I just, and I'll let Adam do this in the interview, but then there, there becomes a whole sort of cascading uh, number of, of applications you can imagine using this for. Uh, as you start to think about uh, the effect that, you know, drug compliance has on, on uh, healthcare utilization, right? Yeah, so. for sure. And I also want to note that this is the second time someone has offered you a job ah. during a podcast. In sales. Yes, in, in sales. sales. They, yeah. they don't want me like in the technology group. They just <laughs> want me to go out go out and sell. And, and I would also say what I happen to like, uh, one of the things I happen to like best about this company is it's in New York City, buddy. There you go. So oh. we're not playing games here anymore. We're, uh, we're getting into the high-tech healthcare world big well, time. We have you under contract here, so you better not, uh, better not sneak away. <laughs> All righty. Well, let's get into it. This is a great, uh, great story. AI Cure Technologies. Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with uh, Adam Hanina of AI Cure. How are you, Adam? I'm very well, Steve. Thank you very much for inviting us to the talk today. Absolutely. Thanks for coming in. Uh, you know, I want to, uh, I want to dig right into the product and the company as a starting point. Um, 
Why don't you, you give me a little bit of background on the problem uh, that you're solving and, and what your technology is doing to solve that problem, and then we'll dig in from there. Of course. Um, AIKIA is an artificial intelligence company that visually confirms medication ingestion using any smartphone. Um, the problem it's solving is that when patients don't take their medication, this can lead to hospitalizations or rehospitalizations. It can also uh, be the cause of um, why, or the reason why clinical trials fail, um, because um, when patients or study participants don't take their medication, um, the data that's being collected um, isn't really linked um, to anything too real. Mm-hmm. And and your 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 product, you know, how are you verifying, you know, ingestion? And and, uh, and and drug uh, utilization. Sure. So um, in medicine, there's something called direct directly observed therapy (DOT), uh, which is viewed as a gold standard of confirming that uh, a patient has taken the medication. What it entails is a, a study coordinator in a clinical trial or a nurse uh, actually watching a patient taking the medication, and that means that the um, Patient's identity will be verified, uh, the dose and medication type will be visually confirmed, and then the act of ingestion will be also um, acknowledged by the um, uh, uh, study coordinator or the nurse. Um, we've built an artificial intelligence platform that automates that process. Um, so we um, allow uh, any patient to download an app onto their smartphone or their mobile device, uh, such as a tablet. Um, Instructions and reminders will be provided to that patient, giving them clear guidance on the dose that they need to take as well as the timing. Uh, the patient needs to press the start button, and the system uses a front-facing webcam to automatically verify the patient's face through facial recognition, the identity of the medication based on shape, color markings, and the act of ingestion. And that data is automatically sent back to a central dashboard. So that means no video needs to be reviewed the data is automatically captured um, and presented to um, uh, the clinical researcher or the um, healthcare worker who's supervising that patient. So the best way to think about this is similar to a voice recognition system that automatically understands what you're saying through software algorithms. This is a visual recognition system that visually confirms patient behavior. <laughs> That's very cool. Well, that's very cool. So the confirmation of patient behavior is the actual, you're, 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 you're videotaping them taking the medication, basically, right? And, and are you able to actually tell whether they've swallowed the pill? Is it, is it possible to do that? Yes. So, um, they make a funny a face or something when they swallow a pill? I mean, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so indirect observation, yeah. um, when a nurse observes a patient taking the medication in high-risk patient population. They actually uh, perform an empty mouth check. Um, sure. And with our technology in high-risk patient populations or high-risk applications, just clinical research, we also automate the process of um, patients um, uh, performing an empty mouth check. In fact, the technology is not a video recording. The system is um, performing real-time video analysis and tracking the patient's face around the field of view 
um, confirming activity of the patient, and we have about 15 different types of technologies built into the system to determine if there's any kind of fraudulent behavior that's occurring, such as presenting the incorrect pill, duplicate enrollment, or even leaning out of the field of view and spitting the medication out. Okay. I love it. I think it's amazing. You know, you, you put a computer in somebody's hands and we can come up with all kinds of great ideas, right? Now, this, this idea isn't something that you just came up with. Where, where, when did you think of this idea and, and what got you started and what was the motivation in, uh, in coming to, the, to start this company? It's really cool. Thank you. Well, um, I've been in healthcare IT for about 17, 16, 17 years. I used to work for Cerner Corporation, and um, I've been aware of the problem of medication um, non-adherence for quite some time, actually going back to the late 90s. Um, the problem is a $300 billion problem, and if you have the ability to um, impact or make a dent in healthcare, then that's a very powerful motivator. And with medication adherence, it's one of those strange variables that um, it's really linked to every therapeutic area, so it translates across every therapeutic area, and it's directly linked to health outcomes as well as statistical power in clinical trials. So if, mm-hmm. you, if you can show that you can have a difference, in medication adherence, um, you can um, facilitate an awful lot of change, sort of positive. And, and when, did, um, it, when did it occur to you that you could do this visually with a smartphone? So uh, we actually started filing patents back in 2009. Um, and it was really interesting because um, the idea actually um, preceded the uh, proliferation of smartphones. Um, and so we were just getting some basic smartphones at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- as we started building our demos, um, they were all being done on laptops in 2000, early 2010 um, because they weren't smartphones that were powerful enough to um, really run with the technology. Um, but what's so incredible about development of technology is we're now um, uh, deploying the technology on standard smartphones that are off the shelf, but we just tested it on $8 smartphone device out of Best Buy, and it ran perfectly. So yeah. the speed of computational power, um, the quality of these phones, they're starting to be- become commoditized to the point where eventually the smartphone of these devices, smart devices are going to be free. Um, and then um, the ability to layer intelligent technology on top of that is really what's going to add the value. I, I have to say, I've, I've been telling people this for, for a number of years, that at the end of the day, there is no sort of economic barrier to a smartphone in the future. Everybody will have one. It'll be, everybody will be incentivized to have one, rich and poor. And, uh, and that's great. I mean, an $8 smartphone can, can operate on an, an IR, an, an artificial intelligence platform. That's, incro- that's incredible. That's, that's what I would expect, and, and who knows what we can imagine as that begins to become a reality. So there's a lot to talk about here. So let's let's start. I'm going to start with the the a congratulations to you. Uh, you uh, public, I guess it's public knowledge. You've raised about twelve and a half million dollars. This is your Series A, right? And That's uh, correct. you've brought in some 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 big some big name uh, VCs. I'll see if I get them all right. New Leaf, uh, Tribeca Venture Partners, the Pritzker Group. Anybody I'm leaving out? Uh, and doc, Dr. Um, Boris Dikolich, who is the former chief scientific advisor to Bill Gates. So, 
you know, a great group of guys. Uh, so let, if, if that's a successful fundraise for you, I guess I, I, I'd start with the question, what did you tell them that made them want to invest? Well, um, I think the um, uh, opportunity is evident. Mm-hmm. And when you start explaining the story that um, a patented advanced technology that has the ability to scale to billions of smartphones and impact healthcare in a revolutionary manner um, is now being built and commercialized, and here's the data to prove it. Um, I think the story is pretty um, uh, evident. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically, um, getting such an incredible group of investors together and uh, you know, an outsized Series A is also further validation of the potential size of this market. Right. Um, because at the end of the day, if you can prevent a 30 to $50 million clinical trial from failing just because patients are not taking the medication, and then you can correlate that data in an experimental design to better link the relationship between if the patient takes the medication and does the drug work and is it safe, that's a very simple argument and simple story. Sure. But if you're able to introduce this into applications and population health setting, where um, we're now deploying this for government, um, we're in advanced talks of payers, um, where um, we have data now from um, hospital discharge um, patients, patients who have been discharged from the hospital. And suddenly, uh, the landscape for the types of applications this technology start to blossom. Mm -hmm. And that suggests a very, very significant market as a result. So we we told a simple story. It's very easy to understand. Um, The technology is extremely sophisticated. Uh, The IP protection is compelling. Uh, The NIH validation um, is also... um, uh, backs everything up, um, but most importantly is the data. Right. So if you can show data that you're able to improve medication adherence according to the blood levels of different patients, then you have something that speaks for itself. So yeah, let's talk about that. So you, what, what, what the primary application as a starting point is to verify um, the use of the drug in clinical trials. And you have data that's, that suggests that um, proving that the pill has been taken, which is essentially, I think, what your technology does, um, correlates to a blood levels in patients um, that suggest that they've, they've taken the medication. And as a result, you can then determine which, I guess, which data is, is most you know, indicative of the effect of the drug. Is that the idea? Well, we actually uh, exceeded that. We're publishing data this year um, showing that when patients are observed three times a week with schizophrenia and who are not using our technology, and you compare that to patients who are using the technology in outpatient settings, um, we have a remarkable improvement or increase in the amount of medication detected in the blood compared to those two groups. Um, and so you can imagine what the delta will be when mm-hmm. you compare our technology, usage of our technology and according to blood levels with non-usage in unsupervised patients. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's exactly right. If you can show in a clinical trial that patients are taking the medication 
well, that impacts the sample size that you need in the clinical trial. And if you can have smaller sample sizes, you can get the drug into the marketplace more quickly. And, you know, for a drug that makes a million dollars a day, that's a, uh, a significant benefit for the pharmaceutical company. So my guess is when you talk to the pharma companies, they're just going to say yes. If you show me data that this works, I'm in. Is that fair enough? I would imagine you're, you're getting significant yes. uptake at this point in the business. Yes, uh, we, we're actually an approved vendor of uh, Quintiles and PPD, mm-hmm. and we're in talks with most of these major pharmaceutical, top 20 pharmaceutical companies today. Um, and it, it is exciting. I mean, when, when you're selling into a scientific community in clinical research, um, you need to show data. And so um, part of the requirement for going into, this, um, in, into a clinical research um, uh, uh, commercial deployment is the ability to show that data. But once you do, it's reinforcing. Because you, you capture more data, you start becoming a knowledge-based company because you can anticipate how different patients will behave. But yes, this, this will become a, a gold standard in clinical research simply because if you don't know if patients are taking the medication in the clinical trial, then you're injecting needless risk into your clinical development process. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the statement, and I want to make sure I understand it correctly. So by virtue of using this technology, which is uh, basically created art, artificial intelligence that, that essentially does the same thing that I do with my daughter when I check to see if she's taking her vitamin in the morning, right? I give it to her, and then I say, open your mouth, and if the vitamin is gone, I know she's swallowed it, so to speak. You're able to determine and, and verify an affirmative taking of an oral drug, right? And as a result... Correct, I'm sorry. And go, go, ahead. Ahead. go ahead. Well, I would say as a result of that, because you've got um, data backing it up, you then can correlate that directly to blood levels that would be expect of the drug that would be expected to exist in the patient. Is that correct? Correct. And as a result of that, you then can collect that data. And if I did a trial with a thousand people, you could. Be, you could then stratify that trial based on what you know to be the adherence of those patients in terms of whether they were taking the dr- affirmatively taking those drugs in the specified dose at the specified time and get yourself a, a solid sample size of adherent patients so that you can evaluate the true clinical endpoints of the drug. Is that, is that, that's really it, right? Steve, do you want to join our sales force? You particularly <laughs> Well, you know, I was a salesman when I was a young when I was a young man. So, you know, I'll, I'll take a sales number. I'll go out. Why not? <laughs> you've done br- you've done brilliantly. I mean, some some points that you brought up that are really interesting. So, firstly, um, watching your daughter take the take her medication is really interesting because uh, eventually we'll be offering this not just for orals and sublinguals, which are currently commercially available on the market, which we're as a, we're offering that as a commercial solution. But we have already betas for inhalables, injectables, patches, liquids. So we're developing all of those types of technologies for monitoring patients. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the second point is that um, you can tailor software to different types of patient populations. So in the case of pediatrics, um, we can integrate exploding flowers across the screen and link it to pocket money and then send you a text message that your daughter's taking the medication correctly. Mm-hmm. And there are many different types of models that you can start to deploy um, in population health. Now, 
in clinical research, um, there have been estimates that the electronic patient diary market is about $600 million a year of annual revenues. Um, and that's a really interesting market because that's being deployed in about 15 to 20% of clinical trials today. But blister packs, which are being deployed in 90% of clinical trials, in order to verify some form of medication accountability that patients in clinical trials taking the medication, they typically do pill counting. Mm-hmm. That's four times bigger than the electronic patient diary market. And yet, if you can justify to a pharmaceutical company through clinical data that you're actually able to improve exposure levels of the medication of the study drug in the blood levels of the patient, you can then prove that they can actually reduce the sample size between 10 and 30% of what they were originally projecting. Mm-hmm. And that's a very, very powerful reason for someone to adopt this. Even, even if they don't want to reduce the sample size, the um, the quality improvement that you get from the data is the equivalent of a much larger study that would have cost a lot more money. Yeah. So yeah. there, there are a number of different arguments that you can make around the deployment of this technology. You know, and, and, and I always say, you know, as an investor, right, you see a value proposition like this and you just hope the customer gets it. But I think they will. I, th- I think they'll get it. The next sort of level of customer after you do clinical trials is going to sort of be the interesting one, right? Because we're, we're now out in the market in sort of the capitated care market, right? Insurance companies, uh, ACOs, and so forth. And there's an argument that is made consistently that if we could just get our chronically ill patients to adhere to their drug regimen, we could save a lot on ambulatory and inpatient care delivery, right? And I, I got to believe that that's a, a, a business that you're going to develop over time. Have you, have you been thinking about how to get, get into that market as well? A hundred percent. Again, you know, the, the wonderful thing about medication adherence is that if you can show that you can improve it unequivocally, according to data, blood level, mm-hmm. um, you can then correlate that to health outcomes um, and you can show um, definite improvements in health outcomes. Now, there's a very, very clear um, case to be made for many different verticals. And in fact, when we started out um, thinking about the strategy five, six years ago about where we should deploy, we put together a matrix determining the different verticals and the different attributes of each of those verticals that we should address. Um, It was an interesting exercise because it pointed us to clinical trials because of the uh, ease to uh, commercialize and the product and um, the sales cycle, the density of the, of the client base, a number of other factors. But the much, much larger market is in population health deployment. And we're going after a few different strategies, uh, which are really interesting. Uh, we're going after a governmental model. Um, so we're now currently deploying in a governmental setting um, where we're monitoring high-risk patients with an infectious disease. Um, and that is a really interesting model because if you can show treatment equivalent for a fraction of the cost where they really need to take these medications, um, that's a very compelling argument. In fact, the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, uh, want to see data in those types of applications because they would be interested in potentially rolling this out across the entire U.S. for a whole host of high-risk um, uh, disease categories. Um, and that, that has the ability to then 
um, expand the platform to millions and millions of high-risk, high-cost patient populations. Um, the second vertical is around uh, the hospital discharge model, where it's critical in the case of, let's say, anticoagulants, um, if you're a stroke patient or if you have congestive heart failure, to prevent readmissions from occurring within 30, 60, and 90 days. And if you can keep people on their medication through a more intensive monitoring and intervention process, um, then that is a very, very simple and compelling argument. I mean, part of, part of the um, challenge of getting into all of these different commercial verticals is articulating the argument. But if it's simple to begin with, and then you can back this up with data um, uh, from the specific therapeutic area that you're targeting, um, ease of entry becomes um, greatly, uh, 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 greatly expedited. Yeah, and I mean, I could see you being a tool for companies that want to provide that service as opposed to you having to provide it yourself. You could be an in embedded technology, say, to a medical adherence company that was working with, you know, the, uh, with, uh, with Medicare or with a Medicare Advantage plan uh, to try to get chronically ill pe people to take their medications. You would be a technology tool for them, a high-margin technology tool, of course, um, so that you could get into those verticals through, through partnerships, et cetera. Is, is that what you're thinking? Yeah, that's right. I mean, this is a, a technology-enabled service platform. Mm -hmm. um, and while the data is collected, there's all these configurable intervention escalation models that we're developing where the patients can get um, uh, text message questions in terms of are they experiencing any side effects or are they experiencing um, have they had difficulty refilling their medication based on their unique behavioral patterns. Um, we brought in a new chief technology officer um, who was leading computer vision out of Yahoo, Alejandro James, um, to really help us uh, take our technology to the next level of artificial intelligence development. And that not only means the ability to capture more information before medi beyond medication ingestion and um, patient behavior, um, but also to make it extremely scalable and allow it to be integrated into different types of other platforms. Um, and the, to your point, you know, we're already integrating through API in the clinical research arena, uh, but yes, it's 100% our intention to use a large system integrations, um, 1800 um, nurse call center in the Philippines to um, leverage this as a platform to be able to be most effective in intervening with a specific patient population. Very cool, very cool. Again, I'm with uh, Adam Hanina at AI Cure, a fellow New Yorker, right? So I love to see cool companies in New York, Adam. Thank you. Thank you for being here with us, you know. We're building a nice little oh, VC, VC community. I've got a couple more questions I want to hit you with. I know we've only got a couple of minutes left, but I do want to talk about NIH and how you were able to get the company started through NIH grants. You may have built a core competency in that area that uh, I think my listeners should know about. So uh, how, did you, how did you get that going? You've gotten it, if, if my information is right, around $7 million dollars in NIH grants to get the company started. How did you figure out that was a possibility and what did you do to get the money? Uh, I went to a random talk um, that was um, hosted by um, New York City's Economic Development Corporation, NYEDC. Uh, and they were talking about um, innovation funding by the NIH and we started applying uh, back in 2010, 2011. Uh, the first application actually took us about 800 hours it was the most painful experience. 
Um, and, and somebody had to read um, it, buddy. Actually, I mean, somebody had to actually read that application. <laughs> so we think, right? We think they're reading well, the it. Applica- well, the application is actually relatively short. It's only like 12, 13 pages, but that makes it even more difficult. Um, and uh, um, I can't remember who said, you know, if I had more time, I could have uh, written, it, written a much shorter letter. I always um, say that's Abe Lincoln, but, but I could be wrong. <laughs> um, so it, it was actually very painful. And, and then it was um, even more painful when we got rejected the first time from the NIH. Um, but they gave us a score that narrowly missed the mark. And they wrote in the letter, the, the summary statement, please reapply. And we did, and then we won it. It was the first grant that we won, and we were jumping up and down because we were so excited. Huge validation. You know, the NIH can invest in pretty much anything they want, and they have about a 3% hit rate. Right. Um, and we were one of those companies that, that was able to articulate the vision and the necessity of this as both a clinical, drug, clinical trial development tool as well as a population health um, uh, um, application or, or, or tool that, that can have significant impact. And they believed in it enough to invest across um, three different institutes, uh, National Center for Advanced and Translational Science, National Institute on Drug Abuse, and also National Institute of Mental Health. Um, and so we're really excited about the latest um, R01 we won with um, Department of Public Health and Emory University is an HIV. Um, and so the implications, not just in the U.S., but also for global health mm-hmm. um, in HIV and TB are, are profound. That's incredible. Um, so, so where do you see this market going in terms of competition? You, I mean, I know you've got a nice patent portfolio, but, um, but do, you, do you see competitors coming your way, or, or do you feel like you've got something that uh, you can keep people away for a little while while you build, build the business up? So uh, we're very confident about our IP portfolio, but they do say that um, uh, imitation is the highest form of flattery. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of automating direct observation, we've really seen competitors mainly in the self-reporting space. Uh, we've seen uh, a company that actually embeds uh, a microchip into the medication, which obviously requires a change to the manufacturing process. Um, and then we've seen various types of um, pill bottles, uh, electronic pill bottles. But, you know, really what we're focused on is being able to adapt to the complexities of patient behavior through an advanced artificial intelligence platform that can really scale to billions of smartphones. And that gives a lot of flexibility in the way that you start to deploy this model. Um, and that gives us great confidence in what we're doing as a result. Very cool. Well, listen, I know you've got to run to, uh, to another appointment. I'm, I'm grateful for your time, and, uh, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you very much. Likewise, Steve. Uh, thank, thank you very much for having AIQ present today. We really appreciate it. Well, that'll wrap up this episode of the Breaking Health Podcast. Adam and Nina, thank you for joining us. And for sharing AI's story, Steve Krupa of the Silos Group, thank you for leading this conversation and finding a great company like AI to uh, profile on the podcast. And of course, we're glad you're turning down all of these uh, sales jobs and sticking with us here at the Breaking Health Podcast. All of our listeners, we are very happy to have you here. We hope you tune in next week for another tale of innovation on the Breaking Health Podcast.